0: Hey, I'm Mary, and I'm Jake, and you're listening to The Fly Angle, the official RDU Airport podcast. Welcome back to The Fly Angle. I'm glad to join you, Jake. Stephanie held it down for our team last episode. It was great.
1: Yeah, it's good to have you back. uh, We have have a a small but mighty team here, and she filled in dutifully.
0: She did a great job.
1: So Mary, I have a burning question for you. Okay, I'm ready. I want to talk about your favorite airport foods. I've been in kind of like a a hunger phase this morning, (laughs) and I think we're going to talk about some airport food on the podcast today. All right. What's your favorite food to get at RDU?
0: Okay, at RDU, I don't know if you've tried it. You may have because I believe you like La Farm. The new La Farm white chocolate baguette is like life-changing. Oh It's so good. I I can't just have one. And you can get them to go. Yes. I don't know if you know that. Yes.
1: I'll get one of the baguettes, the little white chocolate baguettes, (laughs) if you haven't had these. Dear listener, when you go to Terminal 2 Marketplace at La Farm Bakery and Cafe, you can get these and take it right on the plane. It's awesome.
0: They're so good. Yeah.
1: Freshly baked. (laughs) You can smell it before you see it.
0: So good. So when you're you're going through TSA and you're coming to your gate, it's right there. It's hard to miss. So definitely make sure you try that. And then, you know, I'm always about the beverages. Yeah. Mostly coffee, but sometimes other beverages. It depends on what time I'm traveling. And then anytime I go through Chicago, any Chicago airport... I've got to get the popcorn, and I typically will get the mix, and I can't help it. I bring it with me. I'm sure I don't make the people around me yeah. happy on the plane, but travel. so when
1: you go and watch a movie on the
0: flight, you'll uh, have the exactly. popcorn right there. Exactly, we're good to go. I love it. I, I never think I've ever actually had the popcorn at oh, at Jake at O'Hare. So good. I mean, I'm so bad that I tell anybody else that's coming or traveling from Chicago, can you bring me some popcorn? So yeah. it's good. What about you?
1: So it's funny you mentioned La Farm, the Croque Madame. They have counterculture coffee from Durham yes. there. So my my airport. Ritual is coffee,
0: uh, and this is I, I not just when have you're have traveling. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: My ritual in life is coffee, but especially on a travel day. Counterculture coffee from right here in Durham is fantastic, and they they brew it now. In terms of like meals, if you ever have been to Whiskey River in Terminal Two mm-hmm. down on the concourse, mm-hmm. if you've never been there. That's uh, Dale Jr.'s restaurant. They have the, the mechanical ball oh. on the live music stage. Yeah. Um, it's great. They have a Southwest burger that just absolutely is an, is fantastic. Okay. Mouthwatering good. Will elevate your expectations of airport food. <laughs> the only other one I can think of, if it's a leisure trip, mind you, airport beers are always a thing, right? That's right. <laughs> I, I think I've actually said it on the episode we did with Chrissy from Raleigh Brewing. Raleigh Taproom has the Toll, which is their imperial stout. Okay. Oh my gosh, it's incredible.
0: I've never tried that, but I can add it to the list.
1: Yeah, yeah, do it.
0: There you have it. Let's switch gears a little bit. International flights are on the horizon, finally.
1: Yeah, there's nothing that screams the glitz and glamour of air travel like flying internationally. And we are so excited to get back some of these international flights and welcome some new ones even. Exactly. Let's recap. So today you can fly from RDU nonstop to Cancun, Mexico. You can fly that via American Frontier, JetBlue. You also can fly today to Toronto via Air Canada. Starting in May, we're adding one, and that's the Iceland Air nonstop flight. That's their debut service to Reykjavik. Yes. Uh, which a lot of us are excited about. Yes. And uh, it sounds like tickets are selling really well. They're really excited about bringing that service to, to RDU.
0: There's a real fire and ice appeal. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: So that's that flight kicks off May 12th. Less than one month later is a really big week for us. Again, let me just mention this up top. All, all of these dates are fluid. If you're planning on flying on one of them, check with your airline just to make sure that the flight status is up to date. June 1st, Air Canada is bringing Montreal back. of my favorite cities in the whole wide world beautiful Um, city yeah it's i mean you get a little slice of europe without even having to leave the continent it Mm -hmm. is it's wonderful and montrealers i have to throw the dig in montrealers (laughs) can come down and experience actual real hockey down here in north carolina (laughs) (laughs) the the carolina (laughs) hurricane (laughs) sorry guys (laughs) Oh boy. and just two days later june 3rd is the date that american airlines is planning on bringing back drumroll please yeah London. Yes. So we are extremely excited about that flight for so many reasons. You've heard us talk about it on the podcast here. That flight has been wildly popular from Raleigh-Durham for a long time, and we are um, so pleased to bring it back. We've had it circled on the calendar for a long time.
0: Yes, probably the most often asked question that i received is when is that flight coming back that and the next one that's on the horizon right yeah so
1: that leaves one big one left and that's that's delta's flight to paris Um, we understand that that will be coming back late summer i don't have a hard date on it but Mm -hmm. um, our expectation right now is late summer early fall uh, is when we'll get that flight back but we are um, anticipating getting it back and we're very excited about it
0: ready to jet set We'll shift to headlines, Jake. Passenger traffic is continuing its recovery across the U.S., including here at RDU. In January, the airport saw 637,000 passengers, which is more than double the amount of people who flew in January of 2021.
1: So what's interesting about this to me is, you know, obviously we're continuing this multi-month, now multi-year um, recovery phase, and and you've heard the word restart a Mm -hmm. lot around the airport but it is a slower pace of recovery maybe we talk a little bit about why that is this time of year it's a slower travel period you've got covid variants that have been on the rise but thankfully now like omicron is a good example is receding the case count is dropping hospitalizations are dropping that's obviously good news for everybody but also for aviation and then also finally just business travel has been extremely slow to return that's been kind of at the forefront of everybody's mind here and other business-focused airports like RDU. We're, we're just waiting for those people to show up.
0: So. Yeah, we're ready to shift from that lagging business travel, but also adapt to the new passengers that we're seeing that are traveling more for leisure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been so It's been so great to see more leisure flyers than I think we've ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, the last time I flew here was for fun, and it was a blast. We had a great time.
0: Right. And you know, here at RDU, we went through response to recovery, and now, as you mentioned, restarting. And along those lines, we are restarting some of our major capital infrastructure projects. And the highlight of it all is the airport authority approved an agreement with the FAA for preliminary engineering on the replacement of a primary runway, which is runway five left, two, three, right.
1: Yeah, this is a $400 million project. It's major. Uh, so, yeah, so suffice it to say, this is the, the the flag at the top of the mountain. This is the biggest thing that we are working on. And so I thought maybe we could explain a little bit about what goes into the replacement versus rehabilitation as, as you've probably heard on previous episodes about our work to replace this runway. It's at the end of its useful life. It's been open for more than 30 years at this point. It doesn't mean that it's unsafe to fly on, but we have to maintain its safety through rehabilitation. So we've been adding concrete slabs that are 25 by 25 foot slabs to the runway, it's helpful to extend the shelf life of a runway, but it's not a sustainable, you can't do that in perpetuity. So eventually we do have to replace the runway and that's the plan. But first, what we have to do is complete an environmental assessment. And that is currently underway with FAA, right, Mary?
0: That's right. I'm actually a part of that project team and it's a very in-depth process. It takes some time, but yeah. we're glad to get started with that. It was nice to see the recent approval of Belfour Beatty getting awarded the contract for the runway project. This coordination with the FAA and the environmental assessment is where we're at right now.
1: You know, that's not the only project as you can imagine we're working on. There's other work happening, including, for example, the rehabilitation of International Drive as you're coming into RDU. That's the road to the northwest that kind of comes in towards the terminals. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a over $4 million rehabilitation project for the airport roadways. Those roadways see a lot of vehicles, a lot more traffic than they've ever seen before. So it's important that we keep those up to date just as much as it is the taxiways and the runways.
0: Exactly. And look for more from us, specifically our team, about those infrastructure projects, the expansion of some of our gates in the terminal. And so these are big projects, big dollar projects. We'll make sure that we keep you looped in right here on the fly angle. Yeah. All those updates.
1: Mary, how about some, some airmail? I love to hear it. So today we have a great question. This is from Ethan C who asks, does RDU have appointments for global entry? Good question. Yeah, this is a great question. I think a lot of the listeners are familiar with Global Entry, but let's kind of recap first. What is it? Global Entry is a U.S. Customs and Border Protection Program. Um, It allows expedited clearance for pre-approved low-risk travelers upon arrival in the U.S. At airports, Global Entry members proceed to kiosks that are specific to that program. They present their machine-readable passport or your permanent resident card. At that point, you just place your fingerprint on the scanner. It verifies your fingerprint. You complete your normal customs declaration, and then you get a receipt from the kiosk, and you go straight to baggage claim and the exit. It is a fast program. It is swift, and it's wildly popular, as you can imagine. (laughs) You have to be pre-approved for that global entry program. As part of that pre-approval, you have to undergo a rigorous background check and ultimately an in-person interview before enrollment.
0: And it's convenient, convenient, convenient. And RDU is a location for both TSA PreCheck and Global Entry, meaning that if you're part of that program, you can expect to see the Global Entry kiosk when you arrive back to RDU from an international flight and process through RDU's customs and facilities.
1: That's right. And so part of that Global Entry registration process, as I mentioned, is an in-person interview. So while CBP occasionally offers these at RDU, the closest in-person interview center that you're going to see is is in Charlotte, at Charlotte Douglas. When you begin your application process, you will be notified in CBP's system of dates for potential in-person interviews. So all that said, we do encourage you to check it out. It's really neat. Um, it is. It, it helps you get through customs if you've ever been in a long line at customs when you're coming back from an internet. Yeah. When you're coming back from an international flight, the last thing you want to do is stand in a long line. This is one less line you have to stand in. Pretty great. For our guest this episode, you've read his popular column, the middle seat in the wall street journal. He's published four books on aviation, He and others at the Journal share a Pulitzer Prize for their coverage of 9-11, and now he's an instructor of journalism and public policy at Duke University right here in Durham. Welcome to the podcast, Scott McCartney.
2: Great to be with you guys.
0: We are so glad to finally connect with you, Scott. I'm gonna jump right in. As Jake mentioned, you recently wrapped up your popular Wall Street Journal column. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. The Middle Sea is a huge success, and after more than 25 years on the aviation beat, you're now transitioning. So looking back, you know, what stories stand out to you the most?
2: You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it was mostly stories about airline operations and airport operations as well. I often thought of the middle seat. My goal was to educate travelers on why things happen. I often joked, uh, it was really about why bad things happen to good travelers. And and, um, <laughs> and and airline operations are endlessly fascinating. And things happen for reasons that travelers would not understand, not realize. You know, the stories about why flights get canceled, why particular flights get canceled. People look around the, the boarding area and they see six passengers and they say, you know, the sons of Guns canceled my flights because they didn't sell enough tickets. Um, and it may be that there was a mechanical problem somewhere and they had to cancel a flight. And yes, in fact, the airline did pick your flight to cancel because there were only six people on it or right. uh, that kind of thing. So I did a lot of stories on that and how airlines recover from storms and all. And, and when I look back on operations, uh, I mean, there's The story I'm most proud of, the story I did with a colleague, Susan Carey, who covered airlines for forever and ever and ever, and and for both of us, the story we were most proud of was when we went back a month after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, we went back into the operations centers for American and United, and I knew the American guys from previous stories, and she knew the United people, and they poured their hearts out. They opened up in an unbelievable way. I think it was incredibly moving and it was a story we could only do because we had those relationships with those people beforehand and they trusted us and all. And I look back, you know, the pandemic has been all about airline operations as well and airplane operations. I sort of had to become an expert in ventilation systems. Right, and yeah, that's built, <laughs> uh, right exactly. And I have to have to say too, one of my um, <laughs> my favorite misses of, of stories uh, involved an airport um, where I, I knew the airport director in, in Boston very well. And he was very proud of these giant snow plows that they, they had. They came from Finland. They were, you know, and so the next big snowstorm, he said, you got to get up here. You got to do a story about the snow plows. And so I got a call from him one day and said, the big one's coming. Get up here right away. So I, you know, got the last flight into Boston, get there the day ahead of the blizzard that's coming. And the next day, nothing but rain. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. And, 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 the, and the amazing thing was we we, we went out, we drove around in the snowplow anyway and I did the story um, right. but, but yeah. uh, they they joked that anytime there was snow forecast in Boston they were going to call me because it was uh, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> way, you to, on the way to by, kill the right? bizar- yeah
1: exactly <laughs> well you know if you're if the goal of the column and your work at the journal was to educate it's kind of fitting then that you're now an adjunct journalism instructor mm-hmm. at Duke um, as a Duke graduate as well, you're familiar with the Triangle and RDU yeah. itself. What comes to mind when you think
2: of RDU? Oh, I, I have always loved the Triangle. It's why I wanted to come back and, and teach. I love the people. I, I just I love the friendliness. I love the North Carolina accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the barbecue. I love the basketball. I love the piney woods. Um, I, just the whole feel of the place. It's such an interesting dynamic. Um, community. With the universities, with the Research Triangle Park, there's so much going on and it's interesting to see the growth now. When I lived here, it was also, I, I love being, you know, close to the mountains, close to the coast. It was perfect.
0: Yeah, definitely. So switching gears just a little bit, as airports continue to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, what lasting effects are flyers likely to continue to experience?
2: You know, I, I think this is a really serious issue and a really good question. To me, the, the long-lasting change will be more uncertainty and disruption in travel. I think we've already started to see this when there's a new variant. What governments now do is shut off travel right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, we're, I think that's going to continue for any kind of sudden disease that crops up or or whatever. It would be the fear of pandemic. And the the playbook says the first thing to do is ground all air travel. Um, And that can be very disruptive for people. So when you take a trip abroad, you may have to start, you do have to start now, taking into consideration what happens if everything gets shut down, or what happens if I have 48 hours to get get home, sure. um, or that kind of thing. Uh, people who travel internationally now uh, have the uncertainty of, I have to get a negative test. can't tell you how many people I've heard from who, you know, they, they never dreamed that they would test positive, but they do test positive, and now they're quarantined for two weeks in a foreign country, and that can be extremely disruptive. So I think that that uncertainty is really going to Uh, play into the travel equation. There are practical measures you can take, different kinds of travel insurance that would actually cover you for these kinds of disruptions, maybe more a regular part of our travel planning, but also just having a backup plan of what am I going to do if I have to evacuate or if I have to quarantine. That makes sense.
1: Both uh, both Mary and I on previous episodes of this podcast have talked about we both had trips that were canceled due to mm. pandemic related. Uh-huh. Um, and so so having to scurry and adjust on the fly is never fun, especially for the layperson.
2: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what's different here is that in, in the pandemic, um, the airplane was seen as the carrier of disease, right? It wasn't you know, we should shut down travel because people might get infected on airplanes because very tight quarters. It was if if I stop all flights from Asia, maybe I can stop the spread of the disease. And so I think that's going to become routine.
0: I can't help but think about just how you started this interview and that your intention was to educate travelers. Right. Mm. And so in the absence of the Middle seat, I think the onus is really does become on airports and in aviation industry to educate travelers, like you just said, to anticipate some of that disruption, which we're not programmed or wired to do that typically, but that is kind of right. the new norm that you're alluding to. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And some of it's going to be communications. Uh, some of it, you know, the simple things of, you know, why are flights shut down or, or that kind of thing? Or here I am stranded at the airport. What's the airport going to do for me? Right. Right. So prior to the pandemic,
1: RDU relied on a, on a pretty healthy business travel segment, as you probably know. What's the outlook, just broadly, not just RDU, but just in general, what's the outlook for business travel going forward?
2: You know, another fascinating question. I actually did a lot of research on, on this. I was involved in a research project, which was, it was something a little different for me. But I, when, when the pandemic started, three other airline industry people, and we all sort of knew each other, but not well. And we formed sort of a support group, emotional support group of how are we going to get through this pandemic? And one's a former CEO, one's a consumer advocate, one's a consultant in the business, and, and, and I'm the journalist. And, and, and we got very frustrated with a whole lot of uh, wild predictions about uh, business travel. So we decided to do some research ourselves, and we started by figuring out the different uh, reasons for business travel. People talk about sales calls, visiting clients and stuff. That's actually a fairly small part of business travel. A lot of business travel is internal company meetings or technical support or all kinds of other functions. Then we looked at each reason for business travel and said, how much could technology replace? right? We're not going to go to as many internal company meetings and things. There are going to be more Zoom meetings or whatever service you use. And out of that, we came up with a prediction that we felt really good about. 19 to 36 percent of business travel was was permanently displaced by technology. Um, wow. and, I, and I think uh, that's sign- those are significant numbers. It's been fascinating to see. I've heard from Uh, A lot of CEOs, I was with an airline CEO last week who said, your numbers are spot on. I heard from several CEOs who who believe that, who who sort of embraced the research that we did and said, yeah, this, this feels like what we're seeing now it's hard to tell now because you know there's no international business travel to speak of it's so much displacement right now airlines have talked about well we're we got 60% back from 2019 levels you know i think they'll get to 80% back and there's there's natural growth to it but I do think there's a significant portion that has gone away. And we're actually the same group. We're working on sort of an update of it. We were just talking this morning about it. And the, uh, the new factor in, in this is climate concerns. And companies saying we are going to reduce our carbon footprint by X percent. And how do they do that? The, really, the easiest way for companies to do that is to reduce their travel. A lot of their carbon footprint is business travel. And so there's that added pressure. I think there's also added pressure because so many company budgets have been, travel budgets have been reduced. And, and they're doing fine uh, without a lot of business travel. And so the CFO is going to say, y- you're not getting the money back for, for business travel that you want once had. All of those pressures mean reduced business travel in the future compared to what we would have had.
1: It's really, it's really transformative. Absolutely, we've, yeah. we've seen it up close and personal. But uh, but it's it's interesting to think about what the airport of even a year from today,
2: five years from today, will look like. Well, yeah, it's interesting for airports because I think at the same time, there's also an increase in leisure travel, right? Mm-hmm. So people are going to be coming through the airport. They may just be going to a different place. It may be more different days, although there's a lot of talk about uh, the blending of business travel and leisure and, and all that. It's not the traditional, oh, head out Monday morning and come back Thursday night or sure. that, that kind of thing. I do think... It's probably a more significant change for airlines that have built their business model around business travel. The American United Delta, and you know, the, the, the airport clubs, the frequent fire programs, the layout of the airplane, everything is designed for business travel. If 20% of that is not coming back, then they're going to have a significant change in strategy.
0: Yeah, the work that the three of you did was fascinating. I had the pleasure of listening to you present some of that. And it's Mm. just, it is a huge paradigm shift. And along those lines, you express in your final column, your fear over the direction that air travel is heading. And I'd love to know more about that. You know, what could be done to change that experience? And what role do you see airports specifically playing?
2: You know, the fear was that that basically the travel is becoming more and more of a slog for people, right? It's, it's less and less fun. Seats on airplanes cram closer together. You know, frequent flyer programs, less rewarding. And more and more fees and complications and gotchas. And a lot of that is airline related. Sure, I think the, you know, wearing of masks and the tensions on airplanes and, and all have, have really made it... A less pleasant experience in a lot of ways, and I do think airports can do a lot to make the travel experience easier. The whole trend we've seen to better amenities and concessions at airports has really made a difference. When I first started coming to RDU, there were still hot dogs on rolling warmers and, <laughs> and stuff, and that—that that was what you got for food. Uh, um, you know, it's—it's it's certainly better now. I think airports can do more. I think we've seen airports put together outdoor seating arrangements or yoga areas or walking routes or, or just things that um, you have you have a captive audience of people who have time on their hands. And so let's give them activities or, you know, I mean, one of my favorite airports in the world, Changi in, in Singapore. There's a movie theater. There's a yeah. you know. There's all kinds of things to do. You just you just pop in. Now that's expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that, that
1: airport is very impressive. That yeah. Is. <laughs> no, it's
2: amazing. And people will decide to connect in Singapore um, simply because of the airport. Now that's not practical for a lot of U.S. airports um, that don't have that kind of long haul international business and all. But I think the the point is that you have people for sometimes hours on end give them things to do.
1: So changing gears a little bit, I'm sure you've seen this news. With Boom Supersonic bringing aircraft production to North Carolina right here at, at PTI, we're wondering what the next big thing, I'll big quote here, next big mm. thing might be in aviation. What, what trends are on the rise in your mind?
2: You know, uh, I, I think the biggest trend is is sustainability. Um, uh, the, the biggest trend is Finding a way to mass-produce environmentally sustainable aviation fuel. That's become the major force. Um, you, you can produce aviation fuel from plants, and that's great from the environment. It's much better than digging oil out of the ground. But it's expensive to do right now, and the quantities are minuscule compared to what's needed. So the, we need to find ways to mass-produce that uh, on an efficient scale. And that'll, that'll really change travel in, in many ways and make it uh, much much more accessible to, to people who are concerned about the environment. The supersonic trend, uh, you know, I'm hopeful. Um, there are environmental concerns with that. I've, I've talked to the boom people quite a bit. I think they, they have some uh, really interesting design, interesting technology. United's uh, bought into it, Japan Airlines and, and others. So I think there's there's a lot of hope um, for that, um, but I, I do worry that uh, look moving people faster takes more fuel, and so there's there's going to be pushback on uh, on the environmental aspects. That makes sense, and with with what you said earlier about companies being. Uh,
1: Having a heightened right. awareness of their carbon footprint—that's—it makes sense.
2: Right. No. If you're if you're Instant Young Consulting and you've committed, you've said you're going to reduce your carbon footprint by forty percent and and all. I mean, there, there, there's already pressure internally in those companies to say, uh, well, the carbon footprint of a business class seat is larger than a coach seat. I don't think any of their consultants are going to ride in coach instead of business class simply because of, of carbon. But if you said you know what take take the regular airplane instead of boom um, that might be now that that said uh, with a hundred seat airplane on you know if you can get to tokyo faster get to london faster whatever there's going to be a market for that
0: all right scott last question as a regular rdu flyer walk us through your travel day rituals jake and i like to share with our listeners these things and we want to hear from a pro
2: uh, you know, I'm I'm like every other traveler. Um, I I believe in getting there early. Um, I I totally believe in technology, updates, flight tracking. A heavy user of of that kind of stuff. I want to know, you know, as soon as the flight gets canceled or whatever, I, I want to know. I want to get reaccommodated fast. Figure that out. I love spending time in airports. I'm endlessly fascinated with with airports. You know, my children tease me because i would go places and never leave the airport right (laughs) for stories and and that was a good day i i thought and they thought um it was just just ridiculous and crazy so uh what i don't like is is the rush i mean the airport experience you you go from one deadline to another one line to another right you gotta you gotta if it's returning the rental car and and then you gotta you know get to get through TSA and get you know it's just uh, there's a lot of stress to it so i love just uh, sort of uh, relaxing watching doing some people watching whatever and uh uh and enjoying the airport experience
0: that's really fun do you have a favorite food or beverage that you like to look for at different airports
2: oh hot dogs aside oh, yeah hot dogs aside <laughs> right. that's an interesting question um in San Francisco, there, there was a uh, Cat Cora restaurant um, where you could get grilled cheese and tomato soup. And it was it was absolutely delicious. And uh, well, that was my favorite airport meal. right yeah. Com- Comfort food. I'm not a big fast food guy, but I will always go for for the egg and cheese bagel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? That's sort of my go to quintessential uh, airport meal. Right <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Scott, it's been such a pleasure talking with you this morning. Yeah, <laughs> Scott McCarty. Thanks again
2: great to be with you guys enjoyed it
0: jake i'm so happy we had the opportunity to have scott mccartney on the fly angle
2: yeah when you talk
1: about aviation i mean his name has to be at the top in terms of people who have been around the industry for decades and also just the work that he has done whether at the journal or now you know Mm -hmm. educating the minds of tomorrow (laughs) dude. um uh, just about like you know how to make the, the experience better how to just really educate the public and kind of, I mean, not all that different from what we're trying to do with the podcast, but you know, when you have the the mouthpiece of the Wall Street Journal and the top papers in the world, Mm It's really impressive. And he's a fantastic writer. Yes. If you have not read any of his books, I encourage you to check it out.
0: Yes. Dig in the archives. Go check out The Middle Seat. I mean, he's just an abundance of information. And he's got a little humor. He sneaks in there. I yeah, like he's it. pretty funny, huh? <laughs> I like it.
1: So while you're going through the checklist here, we also want to hear your airmail questions. So make sure you submit those to us. You can do that by emailing them to us at communications at rdu.com.
0: That's right. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Share with someone who may also enjoy. By learning and hearing about all things aviation related. And in the meantime, you take care, be safe and stay well.
1: See you next time.